If you didn't bring your Bibles with you in the pews in front in the blue, there are Bibles provided for you. We're going to turn to page 741 today, where you'll find our scripture, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip, <clears throat> to dip the tip of his finger in the water, and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this... Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. I'm really tempted to just let them sing that song again on the love of God and let's just go home. Isn't that beautiful? We're not going to do that. But, but it was so beautiful. As a lot of you know, my daughter's engaged to some boy. And uh, it's kind of a short engagement, but that, Deanna and I had a short engagement as well. But it made me want to look up, what is the longest engagement of all time? And I found it. Octavio Guillen and Adriana Martinez of Mexico got engaged when they were both 15 years old in the year 1902. But they couldn't decide when to have the wedding. Couldn't decide. So they waited a little and a little and a little. And they got married in 1969. 67 years. 67 years. They were both 82 years old. Now, we might find that indecisiveness absurd, but a much greater absurdity is when someone hears a clear-cut presentation of the gospel and just wavers as to making a decision as to whether or not to follow the Christ to whom that gospel points. And I mean, follow him full throttle. Wasn't it neat to see that baptism this morning? I just love that. Addie, we are so proud of you. And uh, she made a a visible, clear-cut decision this morning, symbolized by the baptism, that she is wanting to be a Christ follower. Now, that's the message of this parable. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I have heard many a sermon on this parable that has to do with using your money wisely or good stewardship or giving to the poor. And all that stuff is important. 
But the bulk of this parable has to do with the point of death and the afterlife. It's not just about helping the poor. It's really about what you and I are going to decide here and realizing that it really does have implications for the life to come. But before we get to the afterlife, let's see how this leads up to this climactic point. If you look in the very first verse there, it says there was a beggar who was worse off than most because why? He was laid at the gate. He was so crippled. He had to be laid at the gate. He was in rough shape. And he longed to eat what fell from this rich man's table. And again, if you know in context what, uh, what was under the table, not just scraps that were thrown under the table, but dogs were always around eating up the scraps. Some of you feed your dogs under the table, though you shouldn't. Uh, and I do that as well. But, but the dogs are down there. But to add to the man's misery, what does it say? I mean, what a graphic picture. This man would have dogs licking at his open sores. You talk about a miserable existence. And here he was, in a sense, at the doorstep of this rich man. Right at his doorstep. It reminds me of the hole in our gospel. A lot of us have read that wonderful book by Richard Stearns of World Vision. And he talks about how it's one thing to, to look at some stats about hunger and dying people, people who are dying of hunger and malnutrition. But what if one of those dying, starving, let's say, babies was left at your doorstep this morning? It would become real. It would become closer. And what Stearns really emphasizes in that book is with our shrinking world, which is shrinking in so many different ways, that child really is outside your doorstep. And here, this man was outside the doorstep of the rich man. Now, the rich man was not at all at fault for being rich. He was at fault for not helping a brother in desperate need. Some wonder, think about this, if Lazarus died of hunger because he died. And and people wonder, well, I wonder if he even died of hunger because this man was so self-indulgent and feasting sumptuously, but he did not even reach out to this hungry man. He really epitomizes what Jesus talked about in another parable. Do you remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? He represents the goats. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and you did not come visit me. That's what this man represents. But the majority of the parable takes place at the point of death and afterwards. Now, you and I have talked before about Deuteronomic theology. That's a $5 phrase talking about how back then people believed that if you were rich, if you were well off, that that you were in divine favor, that, that you were blessed by God in some way, and that if you were poor and or crippled, you were cursed. And Jesus really turned all of that on its ear, as you know. But that's the thing. This man certainly thought that he was blessed. But the thing about death is that death is the great equalizer. (laughs) Whether you're rich or poor, black or white, Democrat, Republican, Alabama, Auburn, doesn't matter. We all die. And it's not only, follow me here because this is important, it's not only the great equalizer, it's the great reversal sometimes. A lot of times it's the great reversal. This man who thought he was blessed is now in Hades. And Lazarus is no longer the beggar. (laughs) The rich man, the man who was rich, is now the beggar. Three times he begs in verses 24, 27, and 30. And three times when he begs, he says, Father Abraham. Now that's important. Father Abraham. What's he doing? He's relying on his family connection. He's Jewish, and he thinks he's probably in good with God simply because he's a son of Abraham. 
Father Abraham, help me out. It's like a family connection thing. It reminds me of a little girl who was asked one time, why are you a Christian? And she thought about it and she said, I don't know. I think it just runs in the family, you know. There's more to it than that. More to it than that. And if you don't make the right decision, there is, as Abraham says to this formerly rich man, there is a great chasm now between where I am and where you are, and you can no longer get over here. And the man realizes, I am in dire straits now. But the thing is, this one brother has five other brothers. And he says, and I love this, Please, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to warn my brothers. (laughs) Send back the one I never cared about. Think about that. First, he's relying on his family connection to Abraham. Now he's saying, send back the one who I didn't even serve. Let him be my servant now. My, how the tables have turned. But then Abraham says something very interesting. They have the scriptures. They have the law and the prophets. And the man says something very revealing. He says, yeah, 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 but that's not enough. That's not enough. Now think about what he's saying there. He says, that's not enough, but if someone should rise from the dead, oh, then they'll follow. Really? He's repudiating Scripture. (laughs) He's repudiating the Word of God. He's repudiating the fact that someone can offer a clear-cut representation of the gospel well enough to where lives can be changed because of it. It's been that way from the start. But he is saying, no, he's really downgrading the message of the gospel that you and I can share. Oh, but if someone would rise from the dead, do you see what he's doing? He's demanding a sign. He's demanding a sign. People did that with Jesus more than once. And whenever they demanded a sign, did Jesus show a sign of some kind? Of course not. Why? Number one, that really does not generate authentic faith. And number two, it really would have left us still in a ditch, (laughs) Because it wouldn't have redeemed us. Remember, even the devil tempted Jesus to perform a sign. Do you remember that? Oh, just jump off the pinnacle of this temple, and you won't bruise your toe. And then, Jesus, think about it. If you do that, people will follow you, and you can circumvent all that pain. You won't have to suffer. But Jesus knew that by doing merely that and being the political Messiah that they were wanting him to be, he would never have suffered and died for us and redeemed us from our sin. So Jesus stuck by his guns. And by the way, people, people have asked me, well, if people saw somebody actually get up out of a grave, wouldn't that generate authentic faith? Do you know what happened? Do you remember John chapter 11, raising of Lazarus. Lazarus comes out of that tomb. And what happens? Look at the scripture right afterwards. It says some believed, some didn't, and some plotted to kill Jesus. Even a body popping out of a grave does not generate authentic faith. And Jesus knew that. And as it says in Philippians 2, he didn't exploit his equality with God, but he emptied himself, dying on the cross for you and me. That's what it took. And that's why Jesus didn't show some little sign. And in this context, Abraham is saying, signs like that aren't going to work. Just as Jesus refused a sign, so does Abraham. And, And he says, if they don't listen to Scripture... If they don't listen to the message of the Word of God, if they don't listen, in a sense, to the simple story about Jesus, that's not going to work. That's all it takes. It's not going to work just to have somebody rise from the dead. That's not going to do it. Now, sometimes a sign can help. My best friend growing up was Rick Van Hoos. He's now a news anchor uh, for uh, the Channel 32. It's the ABC affiliate in Louisville. He's not nearly as good as Bill Bolin. 
but he's pretty good. And his father's name is Bill, Bill Van Hoosen. Bill lived a very pagan life for many years, had known the story of the gospel for many years, but then the tornado passed through. Some of y'all might remember the April 3rd tornado in 1974 that hit a lot of northwest Alabama. Some of you remember that? It hit Louisville, too, and it nearly gored out the north end of Louisville. And Bill was a few blocks from where the tornado was going. And he remembered getting on his knees and just asking God to spare him. And I asked him about it later, and I said, well, was it the tornado that really led you back into the church? And all he said, well, not really. He said, that helped, but it just kind of made me remember all that I had heard about Jesus. And I just finally got straight with all that. You know, he said, I should have trusted the message of the gospel a long time ago. And that's what you and I need to do. It, it calls for a decision. And this parable paints this picture of that call to decision. It really paints a picture of what Jesus said with what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and what? Can somebody fill in the blank? Lose his own soul. But the good news is there's still time. You know, these five brothers still have a chance to repent and believe the gospel. And they have the word of God there. All they need to he- do is heed the words there. And there's time for people even like you and me. But folks, it comes down to a decision. This is the final in the series of these parables. And let me tell you, this is where Jesus is aiming with all these parables. You've got to decide one way or the other. You know, some people think not much happens in one minute. I did a little research. There, there's about 500,000 minutes in a year. And you think, ah, not much can happen within a minute. But when you add all humanity together, a lot starts to happen in a lowly moment. In, in 60 seconds, 25 Americans will get a passport, 58 airplanes will take off around the world, 116 people will get married, 144 people will move to a new home, 12,000 packages will be delivered by UPS, 250,000 photos will be uploaded to Facebook, 5 million, 5.4 million pounds of garbage will be created, <laughs> 8 billion human hearts will beat 500 trillion times. A lot goes on in a minute. But the question this morning is, have you taken just one of those minutes to commit your life fully to faith in Jesus Christ? Not just being a fan of his, but being a follower of his. And yes, we show that we've made that right decision by how we, how we work with people, how we reach out to the Lazaruses of the world. We have a lot of people here who reach out regularly to True Vine, as Jody mentioned. Some of us go on mission trips. Some of us contribute toward mission work. Whatever it might be, that shows that Jesus is making a difference in our lives and that we desire to bring that kingdom that we pray about whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer to the world. You know, stop somebody popping up from the ground who's been dead. That's not going to spawn disciples, real disciples. Disciples make a firm commitment in faith by hearing the word and by living sacrificially. And that brings others to Christ. But again, not just being a fan, but a follower. Can I just put it simply? Some people want to accept the gift of grace, but not the cost of discipleship. Can I say that one more time? Some people want to accept the gift of grace, but not the cost of discipleship. And that's what he wants us to decide. The rich man paid attention to Lazarus too late. He saw the chasm once he died too late. He was concerned about his brothers too late. He considered the message of Scripture too late. But for you and me, it's not too late. And it's not too late for others. 
few months ago, Rolling Stone magazine interviewed the richest man in the world. You know who he is? Bill Gates. He's now 58 years old. Kind of hard to believe. One of the first questions, interestingly, that this Rolling Stone interviewer asked him was, do you believe in God? And Gates said, I believe science can't explain everything. And he said, uh, then he said this, and I found it uh, telling. He said, the mystery and the beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing, and there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. To say that it was generated by random numbers, that does seem, you know, sort of an uncharitable view, and he laughed. But then he said this, I think it makes sense to believe in God, but exactly what decision in your life you make differently because of it, I don't know. Bill Gates is 58, and I hope and pray that one day he will realize the decision in life that does make all the difference. He doesn't know right now, but there's time for him, and there's time for you too. I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute, and in a moment of meditation, I want to ask you this question. We have a lot of believers here in this room, but let me ask you, are you a fan or are you a genuine follower of Jesus, and are you showing that by reaching out to the Lazaruses of the world? Because that's uncomfortable. That takes sacrifice of time and energy and resources, but are you doing that? Or maybe you've never really made a decision for Jesus Christ, just as Addie and so many other people in this room have, and maybe this is the time that you need to get serious This is the one minute in your life where you need to make that decision. All of these parables of Jesus point to that reality that you need to decide. You need to choose you this day whom you will serve. Or let me say this. Maybe you've been struggling with a decision in your own life that has placed you in a Hades of sorts. And it's time for you to resolve to decide. Whatever that decision is, if it has to do with money or a relationship or some struggle, some stressor you have, some vocational matter, whatever it might be, it's time for you to decide with that because where it has left you is at a place of desperation much like this man was in. If if there's a decision you need to make right now that will make you closer to Jesus, as Tim prayed earlier, don't leave this place less close to Jesus. Leave this place closer to him, whatever that is. Pray just a silent prayer, whatever that decision is that you need to make right now. Pray that prayer. Lord, we come to that point of decision and ask that you be with us now. Lead us to you. Give us the strength to set ourselves aside that we might follow you most fully. We pray these things in your name. Amen.